we are going to get started. And as you're doing that, you can be finding your place in the Bible at Acts chapter 8. We'll be back in Acts chapter 8 again this morning. It is, it is good to be back with you this week. Um, last Sunday I was preaching um, a revival, uh, my, first, my first revival. Uh, I was preaching a revival down in, in Rocky Face, Georgia. It's a little outside, a little north of Atlanta at Fellowship Baptist Church with Pastor Brandon Cruz there. And we had a great time with them. Uh, that is a, that's a sweet church. So that was a... So it was a it was a it was a good trip. Um, it was terrible travel. I think you might have heard a tiny bit about about that. Um, but yeah, let's just say I'm not a fan of electric vehicles. If anyone, <laughs> when you have to find a place in the middle of Atlanta, in the middle of the night, to charge it, and you don't know how to do that, um, but but we're here. We made it. We survived. At the end of the day, it wasn't that, it wasn't that big a deal. So, uh, but it was, it was a good trip, but I'm always glad to be home. There's no place and I'd rather preach than right here, so I'm, I'm glad to be back today. And, and I'm excited to be back uh, as we continue to work through Acts chapter 8. So Craig did a great job last Sunday on my absence. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for him. Um, and in Craig's sermon, we learned about the ministry of Philip and the work he was doing in Samaria. We kicked off Acts chapter 8 two weeks ago, and then we began, you know, we saw in that first week that, that Philip had moved into Samaria, and then we really saw that ministry take off and the impact his preaching of Christ was having in that city, so much so that the Jerusalem church sent Peter and John to go help Philip out. There was a spiritual awakening of sorts uh, that was going on. And the apostles, again, this was a transition time. This is a different time in history. And the apostles had some special power. And so Philip was preaching. The people of Samaria were believing. Uh, but in this transition time, the Holy Spirit came through the ministry of the apostles. And when Peter and John came, they laid hands on those new believers and they all received the Holy Ghost. And and that got, that's again, that's different than, than how we receive the Holy Ghost today. You know, we'll continue to talk about that as we move through this, this transition phase of this transition book. But that got the attention of a guy known as Simon the Sorcerer. And if you were here last Sunday, uh, you know how all that went down. We're not going to go through all of that again. But he tried to buy his way into spiritual growth, into having the powers that the apostles had. And it was because his heart was not right. Peter said that in Acts 8 and verse 21. Peter talking to Simon said, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. That's a very important verse in this chapter and where we're going to be going over these next couple weeks. Because when it comes to what's really important in this life, I'm not sure that there's anything more important than having a heart that is right in the sight of God. Is really the primary thing God is looking for, certainly in his children. You see, in our flesh, we have nothing to offer the Lord. It doesn't matter how talented we are. It doesn't matter how much money we have. Because God doesn't need our talents and God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need anything. But what God desires is our heart. God wants our heart in sincerity. And what matters in this life therefore, is our heart before the Lord. That is true today, and that has always been true. It's exactly what God was looking for even in the nation of Israel. That's, you know, part of their wilderness journey was for him to, to test their heart. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, shortly before they enter into the promised land. Moses tells them this. He says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know 
what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. You see, our, our heart is the key. It's the key to our life and what we do with our life. That is why Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, to keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It's what is in our heart that leads to whether we are ultimately going to obey the Lord or not. And that is why our heart is to be kept. Keep thy heart with all diligence. is to be kept or is to be guarded because we are always at risk for letting our heart wander. It was the, the famous hymn, Come Thou Found. It says, you know, I, I love the hymn. And, and, and that last verse goes, prone, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's a, that's a good song to sing and that's a good prayer to pray because we should desire a heart that doesn't wander from the Lord. Should desire a heart that seeks after the Lord and, and is, 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 is right in his sight. And to get that heart and to keep that heart, it, it requires some, some stuff on our side. It requires some action and it requires some discipline. Because left to its natural state, our heart is not going to follow the Lord. Left to its natural state, our heart's not going to follow the Lord's path for our life. Many of us know this, but we see what Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? Many of us know that verse. That's a definition of an unchanged heart. A heart that seeks its own pleasure, a heart that seeks its own desire. And that heart is deceitful, which means you can be deceived. You can even fool yourself. That's what's so dangerous about a heart that is not kept, that is not guarded. We can get to a place to where all of a sudden we are fooling ourselves with what's in our heart and what our true motives are. That's why Proverbs 28, 26 says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. You see, the world says, follow your heart. But it's probably because, you know, you've forgotten that the world hates you. Which is why it gives you that terrible advice. It's terrible advice. So I put this on your outline sheet. Don't follow your heart. That's dumb. Follow God's word. That's what we are to follow. We are to follow the Lord. And as you do that, as you follow God's word and you put God's word into your heart, guess what? It protects it. It guards it. You want to know how to keep your heart with all diligence? You apply Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You want to keep from sinning against the Lord? You want to keep from having a heart that is deceiving you? and then is living outside of God's word, will hide God's word into your heart. And that will keep it, that will protect you. And that is such a key. And as you do that, it sets you up for spiritual success in all areas of life. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And when you hide God's word in your heart, and you let it dwell in you, and you let it change you, that leads to true success. We know that from Joshua 1.8, as we meditate, as we obey God's words, then we can have true success. And, and again, success in God's eyes, not the world's eyes. The world will give you another definition of success. The world will tell you to follow your heart. They'll tell you what success looks like. None of it's true. And as we talk about these issues of the heart, there are a couple particular areas of life where we need to be very interested 
in where our heart is at with the Lord and how honestly we are approaching the Lord in these areas because these are areas in which we need spiritual success. And, and we'll talk about that as, as we move on. These are areas that will be judged for at the judgment seat of Christ. So if there's any area we want to get right, it's, it's these couple areas that we're going to be talking about here today and then again next Sunday. This is really Biblical Christianity 101 because the first area is just related to getting close to the Lord, seeking out a personal relationship with the Lord. First, to enter in to a relationship with the Lord, to get saved, and then to develop that relationship with the Lord from there through a relationship with his word. And then secondly, it's fulfilling the mission that God's given us in this life. It's, it's, it's living out the Great Commission, the purpose that God's given us. So over these next two Sundays, that is exactly what we are going to explore. We're going to study these matters of the heart. This is just going to be like a, a little two-week sub-series here in, in, in Acts chapter 8 related to those two areas I just described. And we're going to do that through the interaction of Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. And it's such a contrast. You know, the Bible is so, it's, it's just such an awesome book, and it's so deep. And so, you know, we just came through this interaction primarily between Peter and Simon the sorcerer. And that is going to be contrasted by this interaction we're going to look at over these next couple of weeks through the end of this chapter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. They're vastly different. And the reason why they're vastly different is because Simon the sorcerer had a heart that was not right in the sight of the Lord. But Philip, that's not true. Philip did have a heart. That, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, both of them, had a heart that was right. And so the Ethiopian eunuch had a heart that, that, that wanted to seek after the Lord. And we're actually going to study that next week. But today we're going to examine Philip. And so if Philip, we are going to see the heart of a soul winner a heart of someone who is about the mission of God. So we're going to look at that today and look at what the heart of a soul winner uh, is all about. And then next week, so we're going to look at this story from Philip's perspective today. Then next week, we're going to come back and look at the same exact story from the Ethiopian eunuch's perspective. And in the Ethiopian eunuch, we're going to see a heart of a seeker. But today, we're going to study the heart of a soul winner. That's the title uh, for today's sermon. But these two areas, the heart of a soul winner, the whole heart of a seeker, are, are two areas that are crucial to how, how things are eventually going to look for us at the judgment seat of Christ. And like I said, we'll get into all that. But today we're going to start with seeing the heart of a soul winner in Philip. And the truth is, the investment of one's life and one's relationship with the Lord, the investment of that into another person is woefully missing in today's, you know, brand of Christianity. See, unfortunately, it is the norm today, and, and this isn't just based on anecdotal evidence that I, that I see personally, that's true, but, but there are, you know, people that do this type of research and these type of studies um, and will confirm this next statement. But is the norm today for a Christian to never witness to one person in their lifetime? That is the norm, to never witness to one person in their lifetime. It is the norm for a Christian to never, never sit down with another believer with an open Bible and explain to them what the Word of God has to say. That's the norm for that to never happen. So, you know, we, we probably have 550 or so people in here this morning. 
That means there's, there's some of you in here. I, I think that our church is not the norm. Praise the Lord. I, I think our church is the exception. And I praise the Lord for that, truthfully. But there's still some of us in here who, who have never done that, have never witnessed, have never sat down with an open Bible with someone. And it's because today's brand of Christianity is so individual and, and, and so personal, we make it so personal, that sadly it doesn't really look like the brand of Christianity that you find in the Bible. And I, I think that's mostly just because our hearts have deceived us. And we think that we're okay because we come to church, or we're okay because we throw money in the offering plate when it goes by, and, and all the while don't understand that our hearts are actually far away from the Lord on these matters. And so there are some things that all of us, myself included, need to learn from Philip this morning to make sure we have the heart of a soul winner. And it's important to have the heart of a soul winner because God has the heart of a soul winner. So much so that he sent his son to come die for you and me. That's his heart. And we need that heart this morning as believers to be about the mission God's given us. So we're going to read Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 25. We'll read down through verse 35 and see what the Lord has to teach us here. Acts 8 verse 25, the Bible says, And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I want to thank you for the time we have to come together this morning. And I'm so thankful for everyone that's here today. And, and Lord, I just pray that, that you speak to each and every one of us in, in a way that only you can, in a way that is individual, hitting it, each one of us where we're at exactly. And Lord, what, what we need to hear today. So Lord, I just pray that you use it in our life to change us, to mold us more into your image, which is that of a soul winner. And, and Lord, that you would, um, we would come away from here um, just more burdened and more desired to, to, to be about uh, the mission that you've given us in this life. Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that you're glorified and honored. I pray that you're glorified and honored in our worship, um, in our commitment to you, Lord, Lord just in, as, as we give our lives to you in this time. Lord, we love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is a great passage. This is a very popular passage that is used, you know, many times in many ways uh, in, you know, in sermons and discipleship lessons, all sorts of things. And it's just chock full of principles related to evangelism and discipleship, and we're just going to hit the surface. There's so much more we could get into, but we're, we're going to keep moving through it. I want to show you some key points um, that I want to pull out. We, we use this in our discipleship lesson on baptism, for example. We'll get into that some next week. 
in my opinion, it is, is certainly one of the highlight stories of the book of Acts, a book that contains many highlight stories, and, and partly because it highlights the transition that is taking place at this time in history. We will get into that next Sunday. We're actually not really going to talk about that today, but we will talk about that next Sunday. Because where I want to focus this morning is just having a heart like Philip for the souls of men. Because the truth is, we can say that we love the Lord. We can say that we care about the things God cares about. But unless our actions involve sharing God's word with others, you know, then I'm afraid we're being deceived by our desperately wicked heart. So this morning I want to show you how you can know if you have the heart of a soul winner, someone that cares about evangelism, that cares about discipleship, that cares about investing their relationship with God and sharing that with someone else. And it's all about a readiness. We need to be ready soul winners and to do it the way that God designed. And so first, this is our first point this morning, when it comes to having the heart of a soul winner, we need to be ready to act. It's very simple. These are super simple points that we're going to be talking through this morning, but, it, but they're very practical and very important. And we need to start by being ready to act. You see, when God opened the door for Philip to talk to the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip was ready. He acted upon that readiness. Look at verse 26 and the beginning of verse 27 again. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. So the angel of the Lord told Philip to arise and go. And what did Philip do? He arose and went. He was ready and he acted immediately and without question. Can the same be said of us? Because it, it needs to be. But for it to be said of us, this level of being ready to act requires three different levels of discipline for us. So first of all, it requires complete trust in the Lord. That's your blank there. Complete trust in the Lord. If we want to be ready to act like Philip was ready to act, we have to trust the Lord without question. Because if you look at this scenario from a human standpoint, using human logic, there are some things that don't really make sense. And the first thing that doesn't make sense is that the Lord calls Philip from a fruitful land to a barren land. Because where, where was Philip going? Or where was, where, was, where was Philip at to start with? He was in Samaria. He was in Samaria, and, and a spiritual awakening was going on. A spiritual awakening was occurring. We've looked at this over the past two weeks, but look again at Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And then skip down to verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. See, good stuff was happening in Samaria. 
you know, like we, we might even talk about a, a revival, right? I was, was part of a revival last week. Except this wasn't really a revival because it, they weren't reviving. And this is the, a, a, a first thing was happening. They weren't really reviving, but you know what I mean. The Lord was working. And Philip was being used. And yet God told him to leave. And Philip, if Philip didn't completely trust the Lord, it would have been easy for him to wonder why God wanted him to leave. And even justify in his mind that Samaria was the place he should be. <clears throat> I mean, look around. How could God want me to leave this? It's not even like the work was completely over. We know that from verse 25. And when they... And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many, many villages of the Samaritans. They were going back to Jerusalem, but there were Samaritans around. And that work with the Samaritans wasn't done. It was still an active work. So I could see Philip justifying the need for him to stay or to move to more Samaritans. He could have said, surely God doesn't want me to leave this, especially to go to Gaza, which was a desert. Look at verse 26 again. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. You see, Gaza was south. Philip had to go down. And it was a desert. It was a dry land. And there's a spiritual picture that God wants us to see in all of that. And, and the picture is this. Philip was being called to a place of barrenness. Philip was being called to a place of barrenness. Such a contrast from what was going on in Samaria. He was moving from a place of fruitfulness to a place of barrenness. But that's where God wanted him. And so Philip didn't question it. He trusted and not only was Philip moving from a place of fruitfulness to barrenness, he was also going there for an unknown reason. You see, the Lord did not let Philip in on the reason until after he got to Gaza. He told him to arise and go in verse 26. He went and rose. He arose and went in verse 27. And the Spirit didn't tell him why until verse 29. And listen, there's a great lesson in there for us. Because too many times, and, and listen, I'm this way, you're this way, many of it, not everybody, but many of us are this way. Too many times we want to know all the details before we're willing to follow the Lord. We want to make sure we have all of our I's dotted and all of the T's crossed. We want to make sure we've secured our spot and we know exactly what we're getting into. And that's because we have control issues and we're just not willing to trust the Lord. Now, I'm not saying be irresponsible. There's a balance. And, and just because you hear about, you know, some random need in the jungles of South Africa, that doesn't mean that, you know, you quit your job at a moment's notice and, 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 and fly across and take your family, you know, across the world. No, God is going to work how he always works. He's going to work through his word, through his spirit, and through the church. So unless until God confirms things at those three levels, you know, you, you need to maybe slow your roll just a, just a bit. And in our example, Philip was living in a different time, and God was working in different ways. But the lesson is still the same. If you are waiting to have all the answers and to have complete control 
of God's calling for you, well, it's just not going to work. If you have to have everything figured out, well, where's the faith in that? Where's the trust in that? It means you have a lack of faith and a lack of trust. God doesn't work that way. He is going to call you to some things that maybe you don't fully understand. Or you might not have chosen for yourself. But God has something for you there. So when you are in that situation, will you trust? Can you apply Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, that trust in the Lord with all what? Thine heart. This is a matter of the heart. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. And, and that trust is found in our heart. It's a matter of the heart. Psalm 62, 8 says, trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. So if you can't trust God to lead you, even when you can't make full sense of what he's asking you, then you might not have the heart of a soul winner. Because on the surface, going to Gaza doesn't make complete sense. But God had a purpose. And that purpose was about an Ethiopian eunuch. Which is another thing from a human logic perspective. Maybe doesn't make a lot of sense because God was asking Philip to go from a fruitful place to a barren place. God was asking Philip to trust him when he didn't give Philip all of the information. And third, God was asking Philip to move from the many to the one. You see, in Samaria, Philip was ministering to the people. He was ministering to many. But in Gaza, it was just one. He was asking him to go to the one. And again, in the way we process things, we might wonder why. It doesn't really make sense in our math, but, but that's because our math doesn't always match up with God's math. And when you understand that God cares about the one, just as much as he cares about the many, then you can begin doing God's math. Most of us know about the parable of the lost sheep. Concludes in Luke 15, 17, that says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons, which need no repentance. It was recorded this way in Matthew 18, verses 12 and 13. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily say unto you, he rejoiceth more than of that sheep, than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. And listen, those, those verses are, are taken out of context way more then they're used correctly because doctrinally Jesus is talking to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Prophetically, it points to a remaining remnant that God will save in the tribulation. But that in no way takes away from the fact that God absolutely cares about the one. God is not willing that any should perish. So preach Luke 15, 7 inspirationally until you're blue in the face. Because that's the heart of a soul winner. And, and trust God to take you to the one. Even if it means that he's pulling you away from the many that are already saved. As long as God is in it, then it is the right move. Because God knows what he's doing, I promise you. And we don't minister to make a name for ourselves anyway. Numbers don't matter. Our faithfulness and our trust in God to do what he has called us to do, that is what matters. It's, it's our heart 
that he's looking for. And if we're just looking for numbers anyway, well, then our heart isn't right before him. So being ready to act requires a complete trust in the Lord, even when things don't make a whole lot of sense as we logically put it together. But then next, it requires complete obedience in the Lord. We need to completely trust the Lord. We need to completely obey the Lord. And we've already talked about this some. But God told Philip to arise and go, so he arose and went. It was complete. He did exactly what God told him to do. And that's a good word for us. Because too many times, we obey the Lord on our own terms. And we see an example of this with King Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 15. So Saul receives a command from the Lord in verses 2 and 3. Listen to what it is. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for them in the way when he came up from Egypt. This is the command to Saul. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Okay, so that's the command. Saul gathers his army and he goes and attacks Amalek. And look at verse 7. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive, uh-oh, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Now listen to verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. You see, here Saul only partially obeys. But I mean, what's the harm? He only saved the best, he only saved the leader, he only saved the best sheep, the best oxen, and he had reason to do that. He explains that later in the chapter, that's not our point. The point is God didn't care about Saul's reasons. God cared about complete obedience, which Saul didn't give. Look at verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. So complete obedience is just that. It's complete. And too many times with the Lord, we will do this. We just won't do that. Or we'll go here. We just won't go there. I'll I'll talk to this person. I just can't talk to that person. That's not complete obedience. If we only obey when our conditions are met, then we're not completely obeying the Lord. And all of that is is disobedience. And God deserves better than that, and he deserves it now. Because when I say complete obedience, I also mean immediate obedience. You see, delayed obedience and or partial obedience, that's actually disobedience. That's, That's disobedience. And you teach your kids that, don't you? The delayed obedience and partial obedience is disobedience? If you don't, you should. Because that's the model of the heart we see with Philip. He didn't talk back. He didn't go to Gaza after he finished up what he was doing in Samaria. He just obeyed. Like David said in Psalm 119, verse 60, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. It was the same attitude Paul had. Galatians 1, verses 15 and 17. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, when he, when he got that calling, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia 
and returned again unto Damascus on the Lord's command. Immediately. It was complete. It was immediate. The same of Paul, the same of Philip, because they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They were sensitive to the Lord's leading in their life. Are you? Am I? Well, that, that's the heart of a soul winner. So being ready to act requires a complete trust in the Lord. It requires complete obedience to the Lord. But then third, it requires complete urgency for the Lord. See, not only was, his, not only was Philip's obedience immediate, it was urgent. When Philip arrived in Gaza and the Spirit gave him instruction to join the Ethiopian eunuch, look at his response. Verse 30. <clears throat> and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And do you see what that says? It says Philip ran. He ran. And that's just awesome. His heart was for the Ethiopian eunuch so much that he couldn't wait to get to him. And tell him about Jesus. So he wasn't just obedient. He was eager and willing to obey and urgent about it. What a testimony. And man, I, you know, I've, I, just, I asked myself this question. And so I'll ask you, when was the last time we felt that sense of urgency? To obey what God's given us to do. To go talk to someone about Jesus. Listen to David's testimony. Psalm 119 verse 32. I will run the way of thy commandments, when thou shalt enlarge my heart. See, the right heart leads to an urgency in our obedience. But if you don't have the heart of a soul winner, you won't run. And listen, that describes most Christians today. I told you earlier, the norm in today's Christianity is never witnessing to one person. See, today's Christianity is better described by hesitancy than urgency. We're hesitant to share the gospel message. We're hesitant to invest our life in another person. We're not urgent. We're just the opposite. We're he we don't know. I don't know how they'll take it. And I don't, I don't know what they'll say back to me. I, I don't know if it's worth it. Maybe they'll make fun of me. Maybe they'll hurt me. And we have these, all these reasons for not. It makes sense for us why we shouldn't do it. And you, know, you don't see that anywhere in the Bible. There's an urgency running to follow the Lord's commandments. You know, and, and, and we'll, we'll justify our hesitancy by saying, I, you know, we're not sure what to say or I, I'm worried about saying the wrong, I don't want to say the wrong thing, I don't want to make it worse. And if that's the case, you're just trusting in yourself too much anyway. We'll talk about being prepared here in a minute, but, but stop trusting in yourself. If you have an urgent desire with the right heart, well, you can trust the Lord in that moment. And, and the truth is, most of the time, it's not that we don't know what to say. It's that we fear man more than we fear the Lord. That's, that's just the bottom line. That is the truth. And that's a sin that should be repented of. So start trusting. Start obeying. Start hurrying. And time is short. Let's take advantage of what little time we have left. So we need to be ready. We need to be ready to act. And then second, when God opens the door, we also need to be ready to accompany. 
be ready to accompany. And this point is about being willing to get personal. I told you earlier, we, we make the gospel, we make our relationship with the Lord, we've, ma- we've turned it into this brand of Christianity, at least American Christianity today, a very personal thing. Like, we don't want to share it, right? We, we, that's, that's my thing. I don't, I don't want to impose that upon anybody else. No, this is, we need to get personal. This is open up. We need to be opening ourselves up and accompanying other people. You see, there needs to be a relational aspect to soul winning and disciple making. That's why our discipleship is is designed to be done one-on-one. And we see this relational aspect of ministry of Philip. Pick the story up again in verse 26. Angel of the Lord said unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia and eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for, the, for, uh, for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join. Go near and join thyself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither to and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understand us, thou what thou readest. And he said, How can I, except should, man, should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So the, the angel of the Lord tells him to, 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 go, to go near and join. He gets an invitation to come up and sit. Uh, those are very intimate uh, those are very intimate actions. In fact, the command given to Philip by the Spirit of God was to, to go near and join himself to the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot. And that phrase, join thyself, is a very strong one. It, it, it has an intimate association. It means to glue, to stick to, to cleave. You see the exact same Greek and English word in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 16 and 17. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So you can see the intimate nature attached to that word. But listen, if we want to make a real difference in this world, we have to be willing to accompany and join the lost where they're at. And to come up and sit with them. That was the Ethiopian's request at the end of verse 31. And Philip obliged. He wanted to join him. And come and sit with him and share God's word with him because he had the heart of a soul winner. And listen, that is where real impact can be made, especially with the one. And I've told you this before, but you can never truly impact anyone if you only allow your life to be viewed from a distance. That was Paul's philosophy with his entire ministry life. Listen to how he, he told that to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. And that's what people need. They need to know we care and that they're dear to us. It reminds me of Ezekiel, a, a prophet to the Jews. You know, he, he, he said this in Ezekiel 3, verse 15, that I came to them in the captivity of Tel Abib that dwelt by the river of Shabar and sat where they sat. See, the, the Ethiopian eunuch invited him to come sit with him. Well, Ezekiel said he, he went and he sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. And those are some powerful verses. And Ezekiel came to give warning. Like, I mean, you know, he, he was saying some hard things 
to Israel. But first, before he did that, he sat where they sat. And sometimes that's what the Lord wants us to do with the people that we're ministering to and witnessing to. And, you know, you've heard the saying, you know, about walking a mile in someone's shoes. And, you know, that, that's fine. I like Bible phrases better. He sat where he sat, where they sat. And this aspect of being relational, this aspect of coming and sitting, that personable aspect of, of, of building a relationship, that is Christ, that is a Christ-like endeavor. Because it is exactly what Jesus did for us. Speaking of Christ, look at Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Listen, Jesus Christ literally left heaven to sit where we sit. And I've shared this with you before. This is important stuff. He literally left heaven to sit where we sit. He saw our need, and he became one of us so that he could fix our need. He could solve it. He joined us, and he came and sat with us. The least we can do that is to do that same thing with others. Because that's the heart of a soul winner, a willingness to come alongside them. And listen, if you don't want to get yourself dirty, and you're not willing to open yourself up and engage with others, then you should check your heart on this front. And it doesn't take much. Because, because what did Philip do when he came and joined him and sat with him? He just asked him a question. He said, hey, bro, you, you understand what you're reading there? He didn't come condemning him, looking down upon him. He was relational to the point that it opened up a conversation. And here's what you need to get from that and, 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 and what the Bible says back in, in verse, uh, verse 30, you know. Uh, 35 or whatever it is, I can't, I can't find it now. He opened his mouth. He opened his mouth and preached unto him Jesus. He talked to the guy. And someone with a heart of a soul winner ultimately is willing to do that. We talk about lifestyle evangelism. I mean, you should certainly live the life of Christ. But, you know. How shall they believe in whom they've not heard, <laughs> not seen? There's a preaching aspect. There is a vocal aspect of evangelism and discipleship. You cannot get around that. You can't say, well, I'm just going to live right in front of them. Well, duh. <laughs> like, yeah, do that. That is a given. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is opening your mouth. That's what Philip did. And I get it. There may be times we're not supposed to speak for the Lord if God doesn't open a door for us. But let's be honest. That's, that's not usually our problem. We have a much harder time opening our mouths when we are supposed to, when God does open a door. And that is what open doors are all about. They're, open doors are all about sharing the word of God with others vocally. That is what Paul said, Colossians 4, verses 3 and 4, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of what? Utterance. To what? Speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I might make, make it manifest as I ought to speak. 
So we need to pray for those open doors of utterance like Paul requested. But when God opens them, we need to speak as we ought to speak. When God opens a door, we need to open our mouths. And you can simply start by just asking a question in a loving way. That's how you join yourself to someone and accompany them into the things of Christ. So we need to be ready to accompany. But there's one more aspect of being a ready soul winner that we need to understand. So we need to be ready to act, ready to move immediately with urgency and trust of the Lord. We need to be ready to accompany, to join ourselves, to sit where they sit, open ourselves up to them. And then last, we need to be ready to answer. And this does get to our preparedness. This is the balance to what I said earlier about trusting the Lord to give you the words to speak. And of course, you can do that always. And you should do that. You shouldn't be speaking out of your own. You should be speaking through the leading of the Holy Spirit. But that also does not absolve your responsibility to know the word of God for yourself. To be able to give an answer like 1 Peter 3.15 commands. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And that's what Philip exemplified. Look at the story one more time. Pick it all the way back down in verse 30. Philip ran thither to him. I heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. And his humiliation and his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And Eudic answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached Jesus unto him. And, and we're not going to take the time to go through this in much detail. We'll, we'll hit it a, a little bit next week. But the Ethiopian eunuch was reading out of Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8 of that chapter says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And, and most of you know this, but Isaiah 53 is one of the great prophetic pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of Christ. But, but the point that I want to make here is that Philip knew it. Philip was prepared. He used that same scripture, he used where the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, to preach Christ to him. So the obvious question that comes out of this is, are you prepared? Are you prepared to have spiritual conversations? Are you prepared to have spiritual conversations? And if you're not, and if you've been around here for a while, can I ask you why? Why aren't you? Because we have training around here to prepare you for that very thing. And, and, and make no mistake about it. That is exactly what that training is for. Our personal discipleship, our ministry tools and training, our Living Faith Bible Institute courses, at their bottom line, they're to make you a better soul winner and discipler. That's it. That's why we train you. So if you are receiving that training, 
with the, with the primary goal of learning more and becoming more knowledgeable, well, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Because your preparation should have others in mind. Because if it's not about ministry, then it's likely about selfishness and pride. Why do you want to learn more if you won't invest what you learn into others? And look at what Philip taught and invested. Verse 35 says, he opened his mouth and preached unto him Jesus. And when it comes to having a soul winner's heart, that's it, man. He preached unto him Jesus. That's what it's about. It's not about, it's, it's not about what you and I, it's not about us personally. It's not even about what we know and how you can impress a person with your great knowledge of the Bible. It's about the cross. And you have to center your conversation there because that is what is really important. That is what Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He made a similar statement to the Galatians, Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You see, that's what people need. They need us to open our mouths. They need us to be prepared to have a spiritual conversation that takes them straight to the cross, that leads them to Jesus. Because Jesus is the answer. The cross is the solution. So preach that. But in order to do so, you, you should have some level of preparation. You, you should have an answer. Just like you need to act and just like you need to accompany. But if you're ready in those three areas, then you have the heart of a soul winner. You don't have to have everything perfect. You don't have to have your life perfectly in order. None of us do. None of us do. What you need to be is be willing to obey the Lord urgently, obediently, trusting in him. And if he's calling you to do something, being obedient to that and doing it, even if it doesn't make sense. And being willing to open yourself up and, and, and pour your life into someone else. Take them to the cross. Share with them Jesus and willing to sit where they sit. Even if that means getting dirty, even if that means getting burned. And willing to do that. And then being willing to answer. Loving them enough to invest your life into learning God's word. It's going to draw you closer to him. You will be more knowledgeable. It is all good. All of that is good. And when you have the right heart about it, See, it doesn't matter how much Bible you know if you don't have the right heart. But if you have the right heart, then, then the more you invest God's word into your heart, the more it will keep you from sinning, the more you will draw closer to the Lord, the more open doors God will give you. And you have the heart of a soul winner. Again, doesn't mean you have everything perfect. It doesn't mean you still don't mess up from time to time. Of course, that's life. And then what do you do? When you mess up, man, you, you get back up and you dust yourself off and you repent of that and you keep moving forward. Being willing to act, being ready to accompany, being ready to answer. 
And, and, and the heart of a soul, that's the heart of a soul winner. And the heart of a soul winner is the heart of a wise man. Because Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. And, 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 and they're wise because that's going to show up again at the judgment seat of Christ. And Philip was wise because even after he, ele- he left the Ethiopian eunuch, he just kept on doing the same thing because he had a, that heart. Look at how this chapter ends, Acts 8, verse, verse 39 through 40. And when they were come up out of the water, this is so the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved and, and Peter or Philip baptizes him. We'll, we'll, we're going to talk about that next week. When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all cities till he came to Caesarea. And this right here, like, it's 1151, like, it's super interesting. He, he was caught away and found in a new place. And listen, what you need to get from that this morning is that that very well could happen to us one day soon as well. Because there is coming a day that a generation of believers are going to be caught away and found somewhere else. And how awesome would that be if it's us? But how much better would it be if we were raptured right after sharing Jesus with someone? Look at that picture that Philip has. He shares Jesus with the Ethiopian eunuch, he gets saved, he baptizes him, he's caught away and found in a new place. What a, what a beautiful thing that would be. So let's go out like Philip to the glory of God. Let's have every head bowed bow and every eye closed. And as you're settling your heart and your mind, I just, I just want you to ask the question, if you, after hearing what you heard this morning, if you feel like you have the heart of a soul winner, and if, if you are ready, if you're ready to act in complete trust, in complete obedience, and complete urgency, are you ready to accompany? Are you ready and willing to open yourself up to someone else? And then are you ready to answer? And if you can't answer yes to all those questions, man, won't you do what it takes this morning to be able to? Won't you repent of what you need to be rep- repent of? Won't you... Get prepared the way you need to get prepared in order to be more like Philip and have a heart that is right in the sight of the Lord with respect to sharing God's word, the mission that he's given us in this life. And if there's anybody here that, that you don't know the Lord, you say, man, I'm, I'm not ready for any of those things because I'm not ready to even meet the Lord. And if I died today, I don't know where I would be. If that's you, then you need to meet the Lord today. You need to be ready to meet him. And we can show you how to do that. We can point you to Jesus and show you what the cross, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus did for you. And you can make it your own this morning. If you have any questions about that, why don't you just come forward during this song. And and you can find me on the front row. Josh is over here on the front row on this side. You can kind of find any of us. And we'd love to show you from the Bible, what it means to be saved. Not give you our opinion, but show you what the Bible says.